This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Thursday, November 10th. The weather forecast for today, skies are expected to clear out this morning. A little breezy, but nothing really to worry about. A lovely high of 18 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, new numbers paint a grim picture for hospital ERs. Number two, not just schools. Doctors say we should mask indoors now as well. Number three, go talks have resumed one day early. Number four, Pierre Polyev stands by his support for the convoy protesters. And number five, enjoy your last warm day in southern Ontario. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.07 is the time. 10 degrees on... What is going to be your last warmish day? Not forever, but in this particular streak of weather. As a matter of fact, one of the five things you need to know today is that the weather is going to take somewhat of a turn. Now, I'm reading some of the accounts here that this is because of now Hurricane Nicole. And maybe that is pushing some sort of a weather system toward us. But, I mean, Nicole is making landfall today in Florida. So how it gets from Florida to Toronto by this weekend, I don't know. It's a long drive, right? I mean, all of you have probably done it at one time or another. Um, But yes, we are expecting the weather. Temperature will go down tonight into tomorrow, and then there's the possibility, dare I say the word, of some flurries this weekend, and we're also going to end up with some uh, rain as well. So that's where the weather is heading, but enjoy your day today. Just reaching over to grab the weather forecast because I was busy talking with Joe Cristiano while uh, Jess Kieran was doing the weather forecast. Yeah, high of 18 degrees today. That's uh, that's not bad. And uh, mostly sunny. We may have some cloud overhead at this hour. I know when I walked out of the house, actually, I always check the heavens as I walk out of the house and get into the car and prepare for my day, often just to take in the moon because the moon this week has been full. It's now either waxing or waning. I never remember the difference, but um, it's uh, getting smaller because we had our full moon. We had our eclipse the other day, which a whole bunch of people really enjoyed. Uh, And when I looked up at the sky this morning, just before getting into the car, there were these sort of ripply clouds that were absolutely spectacular. And I know that uh, weather people have a name for a hundred different type of cloud, I don't know what the name for what I was looking at was, but it was uh, something to take in. All that is set to come off the table as the day continues and looks like we're going to have mostly clear skies. And as mentioned, uh, we're going to be flirting in some areas possibly with even 20 degrees, but 18 is the official high. So uh, lots of things obviously to talk about this morning. One of them would be just to uh, get into labor issues for a moment. Uh, As concerns the QP education workers... Both the premier, the education minister, and the QP spokespeople, everybody's gone silent. And I think that's probably a good move. The, they've decided we're done with trying to fight this out in public. I think everybody staked out their positions, and we don't need necessarily to review the whole thing because it's, I don't know if it's been a chess game so much as a judo match, and everybody's got their licks in, but everybody's also kind of pulled back and said, all right, let's just leave this to the negotiators for now. Teacher's going to teach, worker's going to work, premier going to premier, and hopefully we get to some sort of a deal. Mind you, Doug Ford is expressing no regret over having 
use the notwithstanding clause, even though he ended up having to back off using the notwithstanding clause. Uh, let's revisit what uh, Jess Kieran was playing in a newscast. And uh, this is Doug Ford saying effectively the QP strike was worse than the notwithstanding clause. It doesn't quite hold up to review, but like I said, Premier going to Premier. But do you know what's even worse than Section 33? Is threatening to go on strike, shut down the economy of Ontario, keep parents at home, keep these kids at, at home. That's so much more dangerous than Section 33. Yeah, I'm not sure we were shutting down the economy. I mean, I think everyone was quite mindful of the fact that it, this was bigger than just kids being stuck at home, that there were going to be workplaces where people were calling in and saying, I got to take the day off or I got to work remotely because I got to look after the kids. But I don't know that it was shutting down the Ontario economy. And I think most people would concede, if not Doug Ford would concede, the use of the notwithstanding clause was a step too far, which is why the premier had to climb down on Monday. And I've been, I don't know that the word supportive would necessarily apply. I just think the premier did the right thing on Monday by backing off of something where he actually had previously done the wrong thing. But, you know, this is not the Doug Ford who started off in the first 18 months of his administration where it was all about payback and vindictiveness and even if something was a good idea, if it was a liberal policy, we have to rescind it. Um, so I think that Doug Ford's ability to make mistakes and correct mistakes very quickly rather than doubling down on them. There's a lot of very, there's a history of stubborn politicians who do dumb things and then refuse to back away because they can't concede that maybe they made a mistake. Um, I think it was the right move. So then we get to another labor dispute, and very quickly on this one, because there's not a lot of intelligence to share, but the uh, Metrolinks Go dispute, there was a lot of rumblings yesterday, to the point where we were even book booking some of the stakeholders on the show today, and then we called it all off, because people were saying, including um, uh, Peter Tabins, interim leader of the NDP, saying, listen, we have a strike on that is interfering with the lives of thousands of Ontarians because go buses aren't working. Why are we waiting for Friday to resume talks? And then who knows who made the decision, but somebody said, you're right. Okay, so let's do it on Thursday. So those talks are resuming today, but go bus service is still off the table today. And a lot of students, uh, a lot of um, workers in the suburbs and in, uh, you know, regional cities and towns, are still going to be compelled to work from home or find another means to get around. Uh, back to, for a second, the QP dispute, because part two of that Maru poll is out this morning. Remember yesterday we were talking about the Maru poll, which effectively said that if people were compelled to decide who's the more reasonable party in the dispute between education workers and the government. And Ontarians, by a fairly significant margin, favored the workers. So that's just part of the formula as to why Doug Ford and company reversed their stand last Monday. So part two of this poll says a majority of Ontarians, 59% again, think education should be declared an essential service. Now, if it were declared an essential service, then they'd never be able to strike again but everything would be settled by binding arbitration. And the track record for that has always been that binding arbitration tends to favor the workers. But you know what? 
it's kind of a bargain, isn't it? If you want the certainty that there will not be labor disputes, that we won't have this business that we had several years ago where all extracurricular activities were being denied to kids, which was a joyless and uh, noxious experience. Um, then we had, you know, strike last Friday, this Monday. If you want to take all of that off the table, then maybe there's a tiny premium to be paid. Time now to say good morning to John Moore, News Talk Radio 1010. See what's uh, on his mind today. Good morning, John. Good morning, George. Welcome to News Talk 1010. Nice to be here on CP24. Always good to have you. Anytime. You're welcome. Uh, John, let's start here. There was an Amber Alert issued yesterday afternoon. It resolved pretty quickly. It was. It was over very quickly. I think there's always going to be a curiosity the morning after an Amber Alert. You know, what did it lead to? What happened? What was it really about? I was actually at a fundraiser last night for Human Rights Watch, and I had to be in a room of about 500 people. So you can imagine what that was like. Oh, All of a sudden, yeah. somebody's delivering a speech, and every single phone oh, in the house has that buzz that is impossible to ignore. It was about a two-year-old girl who was taken at about 4 p.m. Uh, Wednesday from a residence on Kiel. Um, the issue went out at 7.45, and by 8.45, she was found safe and sound. So, uh, having been resolved, we can't provide a lot of the details, but I think people will be happy right. to know that, at the very least, that story is done. Absolutely. So, to labor now. Uh, Go Transit Union negotiations will resume today, and look, this is like day four without the buses. It is. Day four without the buses. There's a lot of students, a lot of workers who are inconvenienced by this. And a lot of people were wondering yesterday, George, okay, so why are we waiting for Friday for these talks to resume? And I guess somebody finally came to their senses because the talks have been moved up. They resume today. 2,200 workers are affected by this work stoppage. Many thousands of Ontarians are affected because the bus service isn't being provided. Uh, one of the principal issues is contracting out. And more and more medical professionals in this province are, are starting to advise it is time to think about masks again. Yesterday, people were talking about whether or not we're going back to mandatory masks for kids in schools, and now doctors are advising that perhaps we should get to back to masking indoors. So that would affect everything from the, that ritual that we were going through of walking from the door to the table in a restaurant, uh, probably in some workplaces and certainly on places like the TTC. In a lot of locations, George, obviously, people have been advised that it would be better to wear masks, but now we're getting to the question of whether or not the guidance is going to be that it should be mandatory. Tory. Right. Into the states now. I'm not 100% sure, but I think hurricanes are fairly rare in November. This one's called Nicole, and it's uh, hitting Florida right now. It is hitting Florida right now. It was upgraded from a tropical storm to a hurricane, Florida battening down the hatches. But this is going to be bringing some new weather to us. I will obviously let the weather forecaster do the heavy lifting here. But it looks like today is our last warm day. We're looking for a high of about 18 in southern Ontario. And then things are going to cool off. There's the possibility this weekend of flurries. And also the edges of this storm could end up bringing us some rain. Okay. And finally, a, a tone-deaf player signing by the Boston Bruins got a whole bunch of blowback. I find this story fascinating because you asked the question, should somebody who is a prospect in professional hockey who could have a mighty career and make a ton of money be held to account for bullying that reaches back to when he was just a teenager? But this is the story of Mitchell Miller. He was signed, as you mentioned, to Boston, and then they dropped it after a couple of days. And now the victim of his bullying has come forward and told just a harrowing tale of what it seems to be very, very 
vicious and exploitive behavior back uh, when uh, Mitch Mil Mitchell Miller yeah. was a teenager, as I mentioned. And so I guess the big question is, you know, does that derail his future career? And certainly you think people should be held to account for irresponsible and vicious behavior. Yeah. He was originally signed uh, back in the spring uh, out of uh, junior by um, uh, Arizona, but they when they found out this news, they yep. dropped him like a hot potato, and we were all surprised when Boston picked him up. But yeah, uh, more work needs to be done for, uh, with that young man if he ever plans to play. Hey, John, thanks so much. Have yourself a good day and a good show. 5.23 is the time already, 12 degrees at this hour. And we're turning that story about the young hockey player over to our pundits today at 6.20 on the morning brief. Who's on the morning brief today? Mark Tuohy always offers trenchant analysis. And then free-for-all round one and round two at 7.45 and 8.45. And I find it to be an eminently debatable issue. I mean, I think bullying should be punished. But then you get into the question of how much you hold a person responsible and for how long do you hold them responsible for bad behavior. If it had been, you know, in a state where you're not allowed to smoke cannabis, that he'd been caught with a joint, if he had robbed a bank when he was 14 years old, um, does that make a difference? But actually, there is a degree of schadenfreude, I think, because bullying, bullying's a choice, right? And it's also, it shows such a vacuum, such an emptiness of empathy and compassion that you think that somebody probably has to be a pretty awful person. So should that pretty awful person be rewarded? But then again, you know, let it not be forgotten. We've kind of moved on from this whole uproar in junior hockey in Canada over that um, sexual assault, serial sexual assault that took place in 2018. And if I remember the numbers, I think it was like six of the then junior players who were involved in the serial rape of a young woman actually have professional NHL careers and they have never been named and they have never been punished. So here's this young guy who's going to be punished probably with, uh, by withholding an NHL professional career uh, for bullying. And yet we have a half a dozen young guys who participated in um, a serial rape and they're just marching on. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 is the time. It's not easy to sort through the many stories that have been arising in the last while about our ERs being in some form of crisis. And the reason for that is this. I mean, first of all, obviously there is something going on at pediatric hospitals. A lot of that has to do with this respiratory virus and hospital for sick kids and then another uh, hospital that caters to children, both putting out notifications that they were being strained and stressed by all of this. But then we get a new report from a provincial agency that says the situation of overcrowding and overworked hospitals is getting worse as COVID-19 and respiratory virus season gets into swing. And actually, we're going to be talking on the show this morning with a liberal MPP who also happens to be a doctor, and he's been on the show before to sound the alarm about this. Uh, some people are saying these reports shouldn't be leaked, as has been the case now two times in a row. It comes out every month. These reports should just be in the public domain. But the reason I say that it's no, not always easy to sort through stories like this is because there are people for whom 
constantly sounding the alarm about our medical you know, um, system being in crisis, they have a pretty significant stake in it. There are people who would like to privatize more of the healthcare sector. There are those who simply, you know, much like um, teachers unions will say we need more teachers. Well, yeah, because you would like more people like you to be represented by your union and, you, you know, you want to spread the joy. Um, so there are a lot of people with agendas and competing agendas sometimes who would like to convince us at any time that the situation is in crisis. However, it seems very clear, and we'll get a much better picture of this when the MPP joins us on the show this morning. It seems very clear that at the moment, there is this convergence of conventional flu season, resurgence in COVID, and then this respiratory ailment, which seems to plague kids more than adults. And all of those things coming together are causing some sort of a crisis. Mind you, Joe Cristiano and I were just talking off the air about um, some numbers that were put out about, was that one particular hospital, Joe, or... I, I'm assume I'm assuming it was the Michael Garen Hospital where Dr. Michael Warner works because he, he was the one who yeah, tweet, tweeted yeah. it. And he said that of the people in the emergency room currently, yeah. there are two with COVID. Two with COVID, but 112 people in the ICU. So okay. then what's the other 110 people in for? Well, just governing, you know, going by the experience that I've had over the many, many years and times where I actually spent the night in emergency rooms as a reporter to get an impression of what's going on, you'd be surprised at what people are admitted for. I mean, obviously, heart attack strokes, a lot of it is like a senior citizen who's fallen down or has just uh, reached a point with uh, COPD or something like that. Um, then you get into... I always said that when you go to an emergency room, you often discover that a goodly number of the people who have been, been admitted did something stupid. Maybe it was because it was a Friday night years ago that I spent at the Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal, but there was a guy who had uh, gotten into a drunken brawl and somebody broke a bottle over his head. That was interesting to watch. I almost passed out because they, they had to pull the pieces of glass out and then stitch them up. And I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you're visually taking something in, like maybe you've been at the scene of a car accident. I was at the scene of a stabbing once. And it's only part of the way in where you realize you've shot past the point where you could actually look away and not pass out or throw up. Um, then I remember there was another, there was a kid who had drunk too much who was brought in. And then there was another guy who had snorted so much cocaine, they were actually extracting it from his nose. Um, so, again, not to, not to argue against the idea that our hospitals and specifically our ERs are under significant strain, uh, but I'm curious about those numbers. So we're putting out a message to the good Dr. Warner to ask him, okay, exactly what, what's, what's the issue here, to be perfectly honest. Then we get into an issue. There is a, an isotope which is produced by nuclear plants. And that isotope, which is called Technetium 99M. Isn't it amazing all the new things we learn every day? Now we're all experts in imaging. What about the previous 98, John? I know, I know. And actually, I don't know what 99M means. And, you know... The, the listenership to News Talk 1010 is so big, there is probably a nuclear physicist listening right now who's going to fix our wagon, Nick. And I don't know if this is information you can share on your broadcast, because 
I don't know if there's that big a lineup for trivia about nuclear isotopes, but we'll find out. So here's the problem. This particular isotope is used in imaging. So the kind of tests that you would use to establish whether or not you have a cancerous tumor, it can actually disclose heart disease, this type of, of scan, uh, lung, kidney issues, gastrointestinal processes, problems, all kinds of stuff like that. And this particular isotope is only produced by six reactors across the planet. And one in Belgium went offline unexpectedly, and now all of a sudden there is a shortage. And here's something worth noting. You know, when people talk about how Canada let go of its vaccination producing technology and abilities some time ago. And I won't assign that to any particular government because like a lot of things that we got wrong, potentially, um, you know, multiple governments, multiple parties had a hand in it. But we let go of our ability to produce vaccines. And it is arguable that that was not the worst of decisions until you get to the pandemic. But... You know, everybody became uh, some sort of a, you know, Cassandra once we already were in the pandemic to say, why did we give up on our ability to produce vaccines? Well, because many years ago we didn't need as many and we decided we would rely on foreign vaccine production. And then along came the pandemic and it became manifest wisdom that we never should have given up on that. So... Canada also gave up on producing isotopes for imaging many years ago. And uh, again, I'm, I'm not going to assign political blame because, frankly, I think it's actually more fun to wait for the texts to come in and everybody say it's Trudeau's fault or it's Harper's fault or it's Paul Martin's fault or it's Kretschmann's fault. Um, can we just admit that maybe we should have remained in the business? One critic does compare it to John Diefenbaker giving up on the Avro Arrow. And that is just, I, frankly, that's an historical battle I don't want to go back to. The Avro Arrow is, it, it's just one of those things where people just can't give it up. And you know what? It's been so long, most people listening right now probably go, what are you talking about? Avro Arrow was a warplane being developed in Canada and John Diefenbaker came to power and he canceled the program. And frankly, it wasn't that big of a loss. The arrow was already going out of style. We were always going to be able to buy warplanes elsewhere. It was not that special. The technology in the field gets lapped about every year or 18 months. So the people who still cry, whinge, and wring their hands over the Avro arrow are kind of a tedious collection. All right. So I mentioned that both Justin Trudeau and Pierre Polyev are in the news, but we're up against traffic. So I'll tell you why in just a second. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, digging into our stories about the two principal leaders. I always think a battle like this is interesting, and it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the waxing and waning of the moon or the rising and setting of the sun. But there are certain periods in history where you have an incumbent prime minister, but then you have a leader of the opposition who is giving them a really good fight. And owing to the fact that Justin Trudeau has now been prime minister for seven years, people are getting a little bit restive. And you have a guy who has all the mean of somebody who could necessarily be the prime minister. So we're in one of those periods, like a full moon, where the two leaders knocking heads and yelling at each other in the House of Commons is that much more compelling. So with Justin Trudeau, 
I'll let you be the judge because I think those who don't like Justin Trudeau will obviously gripe about this. Others will say, yeah, it's happened before. Justin Trudeau is going to miss Remembrance Day. He is going to a summit in Cambodia. This is part of a trip that he is taking that will uh, take him through several countries, including a Francophonie summit in Tunisia. There's an APEC meeting in Thailand, G20 in Indonesia. So owing to timing, he won't be there. But it's worth remembering. Uh, the prime minister, other prime ministers have missed Remembrance Day before. They customarily find a way to honor Canada's war contributions and Canada's war dead in whatever country, whatever, whatever other country they find themselves in. The Governor General will be there, the Deputy Prime Minister will be there, the Defense Minister will be there. And you have to remind yourself, I mean, a lot of people would probably prefer that the Prime Minister not appear at all. Remember what happened last year? I remember I was in the car and I was listening to the Jerry Agar show and I heard this happening live. And it was one of those times where there's a story unfolding and nobody can, can quite figure out what it is. But last year, the commemoration began and the prime minister and the governor general were not there. And then in the middle of the two minutes of silence on the microphone, the person who is doing the, I guess, color commentary, play-by-play, -play, whatever you want to say, says, ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable or Excellency, the Governor General, and the Honorable, Right Honorable Justin Trudeau are now arriving. And everyone said, how dare you? And of course, the first assumption was that Justin Trudeau was at home doing his hair, and so he was late. And as it turned out, there was a suspicious package at the, or near, the commemoration site, the National Cenotaph. So they held the governor general off and the prime minister and the prime minister by dint of protocol is forbidden from arriving before the governor general. But anyway, I don't imagine he would have if there was a su suspicious package, but it was a very unfortunate chain of events that unfolded. And for a few minutes, it turned into this absolute flurry of people yelling and screaming about Justin Trudeau. And since it was her first commemoration, wondering if maybe the new governor general was as capricious and self-centered as the previous governor general, um, who would often keep people waiting, but was never late for one of these ceremonies. As it turned out, it was perfectly explainable. All right, so on to Pierre Polyev. And he gave a press conference yesterday, or a press availability, whatever you want to call it, and got prickly at times because he doesn't like the conventional media. And it, it, that's an interesting dynamic we're living in right now. We played you a clip yesterday of the, it appears, defeated candidate for the governorship of Arizona. And she's a former news anchor. And somebody asked her a question. Somebody in the media asked her a question. And she just reeled around and said, I'm going to make life for you miserable. And it's the whole idea that anything the media says is untrue and fake news. And actually, that's just a means of disarming the media when they happen to be correct about the things that they say about you. Do we have uh, Kerry Lake's clip? No. What are we looking at here? Pierre Polyev. Pierre Polyev. Okay. Um, so Pierre Polyev yesterday, a couple of aspects to this. Uh, one of them being that he said he continues 
to support the, quote, peaceful elements of the Freedom Convoy. So he wants to pick and choose. It's kind of like saying, I like my left foot. I mean, okay, so the convoy protesters were an all-around nuisance that cost millions of dollars of business, that despoiled the downtown, that desecrated the National War Memorial, that kept people up all night in their homes and interfered with business. But I like the good people who were there. And then there was all sorts of prickliness about the media. Why don't you take questions from the media? Well, I'm taking questions right now. On Parliament Hill, well, regularly, like everyone else. We, we'll, we'll take questions. We'll also, remember, it's not just the parliamentary press gallery that controls the agenda. And I think that's what's going on here is that the press gallery believes that it should dominate the political discourse. I believe we have a big country with people who are not necessarily part of the press gallery. Multicultural media. I've held multicultural media press conferences uh, to reach out to uh, new voices who are often shut out of the political debate on Parliament Hill. But you're there yeah. most of the time. That's, yeah. that's the point. You're, you're there in Ottawa most of the time. I think that part Fox of the problem City. is that, there, that uh, you know, we're, we're all too obsessed with Parliament Hill. We need to be out in the real world to talk to real people on the ground, everyday people who are living their lives under the terrible policies of Justin Trudeau. All right, good pivot, as uh, Laura Babcock would say. But I do love a guy who has never had any other job aside from being an MP and now leader of the party, insisting there's life beyond Parliament Hill. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.